We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this Christmas edition of Marketing Nerds. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor of Search Engine Journal, and I'm joined here today by Lauren Baker. He is the founder of Search Engine Journal, and he also is part of Foundation Digital. And then Brent Satoris is our chief social media strategist, and he leads uh, Pixel Road Designs, which is a great graphic design firm. So Lauren and Brent, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Kelsey. My pleasure. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) So today I wanted to talk about, I thought it'd be cool to kind of get your guys' insights on everything that's happened this year. Well, not everything, what we can get to in search and social in 2015. Because I feel like in our industry, one of the things I like about it is so much stuff changes. And so you're constantly figuring out new things and learning new strategies. And so uh, one thing that I know I wanted to talk about for sure was uh, mobile and how we started freaking out about mobile get-in as it was coined and it ended up not being a big deal. Do you guys have any thoughts on that or how it would affect uh, paid paid ads, specifically paid search? So I think um, you know the benefit behind mobile get-in was it was kind of nice for Google to come out with the sky is falling style announcement. Um, it almost reminded me of like I don't know, the missile crisis or atomic bomb drills in the 50s in the U.S. because it got people really thinking about mobile. And even though they didn't roll out like what was probably expected to be their equivalent of the Florida update um, for mobile or a panda or penguin for mobile, it did get everyone thinking. And it was timed perfectly because around that same time, too, we started seeing pretty much across the board um, – mobile searches outweighing desktop searches. Um, That's right. So it was great timing there, and it was also interesting timing because around the same time they were really doing a big push for Google Now adoption and everything else. So I think if anything, it it got webmasters and SEOs and marketers to kind of get together, whether it be in a crisis scenario or not, but really to put mobile on the forefront. And sometimes you really need that. Um, you know, I always tell people that Penguin was the best thing that happened for me because, or for content marketing because it got people thinking about links as being something that's not necessarily just from buying links or whatever. It got everyone huddled up and, hey, let's put together a plan because Google just slapped us. Yeah. Same thing with mobile getting, right? It's like, hey, well, let's, let's actually talk to the IT team. Let's figure out what our mobile experience is like. Hey, who who started using this terrible mobile app years ago that we're sending people to when they try to access the access the site on their smartphone? See, and I, I thought it was quite a bit more impactful than we as an industry gave it credit for because I think that you know one of the sad things about this particular release was the fact that the only people that would really notice this update are the people that wouldn't be affected by it. And all the people that are going to be affected by it wouldn't notice it. 
So it's all the mom and pop shops. It's all the little, you know, dojos and martial arts schools and the little, mm-hmm. you know, yoga shops and the little, you know, exercise shops and all these little shops around town that are already stressing because, you know, with local, you're already doing stuff based on location-based, right? So you have stuff where people are on the edge of an, a zip code, but they can't be included in what's considered, you know, six blocks away because they're in the wrong zip code, right? You've already got people that are like, you know, challenged because their rankings in local are based on distance first, right? And now you basically have an update that potentially keeps them from even being included in, in mobile search at all. Um, and, and they have no real path to understanding that. So for me, the biggest you know, impact was the fact that I felt really bad for a lot of companies out there who would never know any different uh, about the fact that they were no longer being included in mobile search. Yeah, that's a good point. I also noticed this year, especially that mobile update, Bigger news outlets had started covering updates like that. So I noticed, I think it was either CNN or Entrepreneur, Business Insider, one of those, or maybe all three, had um, come out with information about Google's announcement that they were making that change. And I thought that that was really interesting because it put you know search changes at the forefront so more people can see it, which I think is a good thing for those small businesses like you mentioned, Brent. Yeah, but you have to ask the question, are they covering it more or are more marketers just finding a way to get their content into those publications? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> there but no, it's still of, out there. There are also a lot of mobile gun gurus that popped up before it <laughs> actually happened. <laughs> and it was really interesting to see like the amount of sites that were on top of that and emails that you would get from companies that traditionally did not do mobile marketing and everything else. So um, that, w- that was pretty interesting to gauge, like to see basically who knew their stuff and who was full of it and what it ended up being in the long run. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, kind of going off that when it comes to mobile and then you know users searching in general was kind of the improvements or you know growth of ad blockers um, this year and how it's affected search. You know, I'm amazed at the number of people that actually use ad blockers. I think it's like 30% or something, and I thought it was way less, but those are becoming more common, which is definitely causing problems for marketers. Have you seen, what, what are kind of the things you've seen when it comes to strategies or figuring out if that really impacts the bottom line? I mean, we're definitely seeing it become a much more standardized thing, right? I mean, it, it, we had this conversation years ago, and I, and I I thought it was a lot bigger than it was at that time um, and, and because I was using it. And I think it, it it's definitely kind of picked up a lot. And, and you've seen the concern really, I think, in part because of ad blockers. But I don't think ad blockers are the real cause for the concern. I think that there's been a dropping value in display ads for a long time. And I think that, you know, um, ad blockers is a great excuse for the, the, the decrease in demand and the, and the blinders that displays, you know, display ads have kind of created in our industry. Um, it's, a great, it's a great thing for a, a fortune company to say, well, it's not that people don't like display ads, it's that people are blocking them, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I kind of challenge whether it's ad blockers or it's just a, a, a changing uh, marketplace for, for advertising and, and having to evolve. More than you know, more than anything else. It's um, you know, even at SEJ, we made put forth an initiative last year to lower our dependency upon 
banner ads mm -hmm. or ads that are served through the exchange. And really part of that was building a, a concise and defined native advertising slash like traditional sponsorship style offering. Now that wasn't done necessarily to prepare. I, I, I like to say that that was done to prepare for <laughs> ad blocker again, right? <laughs> but it, it wasn't. It was done to increase revenue. Um, yet at the same time, you know, once all the ad blocker buzz came out, I started to realize that, hey, you know, we, we have really lowered our dependency upon banner ads and upon lower CPMs and exchange-based CPMs and, you know, even making it harder for people that are doing programmatic advertising or whatever to sneak stuff in there. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, it's kind of like mobile getting. It's like, hey, you know, ad blockers really woke people up. Like once there was an ability to have an ad blocker on your iPhone by default, yeah, right? It will pick up people up on two sides. One, scares, it scares publishers to death, especially if they're dependent upon banner advertising. And people always tell you to Google-proof your strategy, Well, you should also banner-proof your strategy as well, right? <clears throat> and then two, around the same time that the ad blockers rolled out, Apple News rolled out, uh, Facebook's, what is it, featured articles or News Now or whatever. News Now, yeah. Yeah, and then also Google Amps Project rolled out. And so... The ad blockers are as scary to the delivery devices of these of this content as it is to the publishers, and at the same time, opens up a new opportunity. So with Google Amp, you know, Google can basically work with publishers to bypass that whole on-site browser experience to deliver the content directly to the end user probably or more than likely with one AdSense ad that's going to be worth a lot more than having five or six ads on the site. And I'm not I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that yet or not. Yeah, um, it's so new. Yeah, it's so new. I'll tell you, if I can click on a list of like the top six celebrities that uh, you know look nothing like they did when they were child stars or whatever, and I could see them all on a list without having to be served numerous ads and slideshows and everything else, and could just see the information. I'd be a fan of AMP, um, but from an SEO perspective, it's going to be really tough because you know the publishers that I work with they're geared up to do it because they really want to get more reads and they see it as being a read opportunity. Mm -hmm. But then it's also an SEO attribution opportunity because people are still going to be finding that content through search. Um, and I think AMP, along with Schema and Microdata and JSON-LD, is just really all components of, and even, and even Panda, are all components of Google not wanting to expend resources to find information and serve information. And they want people to feed them information directly and to then be able to serve it through their their own, I guess, protected and monopolized fields, right? So you can't click off to another site or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about uh, you know streamlining this content. I mean, there's a couple things that I think are important to look at with this topic, and that's that you know there's been a huge increase in vulnerabilities, right? Trojans, you know, viruses, hacking. Um, there's been a concern from people about ads. There's been a concern from people uh, about having these extra, you know. I mean, there was the whole flash concept of you know that being vulnerable, and so there's a desire. 
from uh, Google's perspective and a lot of and Facebook's perspective to kind of eliminate a lot of these risks. On top of that, you really look at what was you know I've always been talking about this model that I feel is much stronger for Facebook. Uh, you know, a friend of mine was talking to some people on Facebook and they made a comment that Facebook said, you know, we don't want to be a website; we want to be your entire you know web experience. Right? And I think that the more we look at this idea that if you control all eyeballs, then you control all ad dollars. It, it, you know, if you took you know, 60 you know, million, you know, billion that you know, um, Google made, I think that was you know, a close number to what they made last year or something. Um, if you look at the, the almost $500 billion you know, advertising budget online, Google's biggest opportunity to increase their, you know, revenue is not to, you know, increase ads, it's to take over the entire channel. If they can take over 80% of your entire web experience, then they can take over 80% of that 500 billion, which would be single, you know, the single biggest increase in revenue they could ever have attained. Right, so there, there's a desire to like the page speed, the kind of like the improvement of performance, the you know being able to load things faster, being able to limit the risks, and being able to control more of that ad dollars. It really feels to me more like an attempt to slowly but surely get people used to a different way of, of digesting data. Like once you've digested data where you have it super fast and no distractions and nothing popping up, the competition you know, is not going to be able to keep you on their site. You're going to be like, I don't want to go through Google uh, search and find these pages and have them load all slow when I can go to Google's AMP program and see everything fast. You know, the thing is, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, though, because it's like going back in time. Like, it so much reminds me of CompuServe <laughs> and Prodigy and AOL and all those different formats, like the walled garden approach, right? Yeah. And like with Facebook, if you know, with, with them beginning to distribute or syndicate publisher content within the walls of Facebook, the only reason then to leave Facebook is to go search, right? To go search on Google and then go back to Facebook. So it's, um, I mean, it's great for Facebook. Uh, Google is kind of in its infancy stage of that, I would say. Like, um, you know, you're basically turning from an external discovery engine to an internal discovery engine. Mm -hmm. I think Google now, Google now is going to play a lot with that because, it really is mobile experience, right? Like, like you said, Brent, a lot of it's page speed. I'll go to read something on my phone, and it will take forever to load. Or I'm trying to optimize a client's website, and the client's site should load within about two seconds if le- or less. But what slows it down are all of the Google-powered tools <laughs> and all of the, you know, the YouTube video uploads and all of the DFPs and everything else. So it's... It, 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 it's very interesting that like AMP is a way to speed up content, yet Google products are what slows content down anyway. Type. Well, the other thing that the other thing is really interesting is that I just did this podcast with uh, Ilya uh, Grigoric, right, the the performance engineer from Google, and he was talking about this server server work. Uh, I can't speak service worker, which is like a, a group of APIs that they put together into one API, and they're really testing a lot of it right now, and they're doing a lot with caching. So although they're going down this AMP 
channel. They're also very, very, very focused on the idea of like this, this, this kind of cash coding where you can essentially, you know, let's take Search Engine Journal. We could basically write it to where the entire navigation sidebar footer, everything was cached on your device and was loading instantaneously because it wasn't actually loading from the web at all. Mm -hmm. And then it would have a push and pull. So whenever we on our side said, hey, our nav just updated, then it downloads it automatically whenever there's an internet connection. So it takes like, you know, what typically slows us down on mobile devices and makes it like super fast and only updating when it absolutely needs to. It takes everything offline as well. It gives you a lot of flexibility. So they're working on this channel with AMP, but they're also working on this progressive web apps kind of concept where they're using the service worker to really speed things up as well. So I think you'll see kind of a little bit of both sides. I think they're they're kind of betting on both sides. Well, it's kind of funny that you bring that up too, because you know, AMP's announcement came out and AMP rolled out around the same time that Google said that um, over promoting uh, apps within the mobile experience, someone <laughs> yeah. lands on the site can penalize you too, right? So that's that's a real competition as well. Like, if I'm on a Google device, uh, should I be opening up my ESPN app to read the news mm-hmm. and then served advertising through my ESPN app? Um, and Google may not obtain all of that data, or should I read that same content utilizing Google AMP where they have all of the data around it? So uh, it reminds me of, you know, I mean, we're very Google focused, but Apple rolled out Apple News before AMP, and it's the same yeah. damn thing. It is Apple owns the content. It's within an Apple ecosystem. The advertising or whatever runs through Apple. It's all there, and it's cutting off your not your connection to the rest of the web, but it's it's Apple, right? So it's it's all through the device and yada yada yada. Very nice, very neat, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, that leads to less people downloading third-party apps. And we've seen Apple take some of their most popular apps in the past. Flashlight is my favorite example. And produce their own version on new releases of the phones. Um, it's kind of, it isn't, don't you think it's kind of like the whole music situation, right? I mean, if we look at what happened with the music industry and everything that's going on there, then you have Pandora, you have Google Play, you have Apple, you know, Apple. Did they ever launch the Apple Music I think so. Yeah, it streams. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, you kind of have this with music where now people are getting a pay-per-play model. So you can kind of imagine, like, this model growing where it's like the publishers, you know, kind of just look at, like, the pay-per-view type thing. Like, hey, I can get, every time somebody reads my article, Google pays me a certain amount, um, you know, and, and it's another channel for them to make money. So it's definitely interesting. The interesting thing, though, is and sorry, Kels. I know I, okay. I think you have to say something. The interesting thing, though, is that if you're popular enough, you don't need to use it, right? So you have like Adele and Taylor Swift. They don't stream their music because they don't need to stream their music. They don't need to be paid pennies to the dollar on their music. They probably have um, publications as well that ignore it, yeah. and we'll see after a while if those publications end up being on top still because of the demand. Or if new publications like the Vox Media's of the world pop up and kind of take over. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, basic information like sports scores are things that, you know, Apple or Google could roll into their native apps and people wouldn't really notice it. 
But if you have, you know, one of those top publications that's going to have the content that you can't find anywhere else and it's not in, you know, Google Now or a specific native app, I think people will go out of their way to still find it and consume it. But it's just going to make it all the more competitive, especially if, you know, Google or Facebook or Apple say, well, we're not going to display your content unless you app opt into our you know, publisher program. Do you think that something like that could happen? Or do you think that it's just kind of Google and Facebook working for what's best for the users? I don't know. That's a good question. Would they, would they potentially exclude? Um, you know, I think that what they're doing is, is they're restructuring with these programs. It's no longer like an all-inclusive, mm -hmm. right? AMP is not like everybody's in AMP. Yeah, AMP is exactly. you have to sign up to be a part of AMP, right? Google is, you know, the search engines are kind of like one of the last places where your site's included without a terms of service. You're not signing some terms of service to include your site in Google, right? But when you sign up to Facebook, you're giving away the rights to that. When you sign up to these programs, you give away a lot of your rights to that. And I think that you'll see that all these future programs will have a, a much easier way to kind of exclude people without having to call it exclusion. It's just that company did not choose to sign the terms of service and, and join the program, so they're not there. It reminds me of, uh, do you all use Apple TV by any chance? I don't. No, I don't. So whenever Apple TV updates, it's harder to find the YouTube app. It almost, <laughs> I, I think that they do it on purpose. Because that's their, real, their biggest competitor and I'm not sure how much money make Apple makes from having a YouTube app on Apple TV versus Netflix and HBO Now, which are right at the top. And it's almost like a shelf space style scenario, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that you sell the most goes to the top. And then they put things up there like Royo and Crackle, which I've never heard of and really have no reason to ever open at the top. And it makes me think that, hey, maybe that's a deal that Sony has with them to either get their apps viewed more and their content viewed more or whatever. But YouTube, it's, it's, I swear, every single time Apple TV updates, they move it around. It gets closer towards the bottom, somewhat to the right, like really closer to find. And it, I'm waiting for the day that they take it off of Apple TV. It's almost like they need it because people go to Apple TV to watch YouTube, but they don't want you to find it. Yeah. Um, it's like walking into a CVS and trying to find aspirin, right? It's like you have to go past all of the groceries and sodas candy. and candy and beer and toys and whatever. And then at the very bottom of the very end of the store, all the way tucked into the corner is like the aspirin and band-aids in a pharmacy. It's very similar. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing, I think the big question is, is like, what do what do public what do people need to think about in 2016 now? I mean, we're we're clearly seeing. I mean, we, I mean, we're not even getting into the discussion of like augmented reality. We're not getting it. There's a new augmented reality browser where you can search based on your eye tracking, right? I mean, that was just launched last week. So there is a ton of augmented reality coming. There is Google saying, you know, over a year ago that they anticipate in five years you won't even be on the web. Uh, computer, you know, desktop searches going down desktops in general sales are going down um, you start looking at all of this stuff combined um, you know talk about the uh, Amazon Echo uh, you look at this kind of uh, Siri technology and and Cortana I mean 
really it starts to get about authority signals on cloud data versus like authority on a brand or on a website. And if everything leads us in this direction, what do what do publishers need to do in 2016 to make sure that they're carrying that authority on to the next platform? I think that's the big thing people yeah. really should be thinking about is like, what am I doing to have some sort of an authority that when I'm no longer, people are no longer landing on my website, my data is still getting to them in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, what's interesting is right before we hopped on here, I was listening to the new Serial podcast by NPR. And um, it's funny because when I hear people talk about Serial, they don't associate it with the radio or American Life or NPR. Mm -hmm. They associate it solely with podcasting, which is incorrect. It's an extension of a Chicago NPR station's content initiatives, right? Mm -hmm. So into a new format. But anyway... the the new the new serial for this season is about what Bo Bergdahl. So when you search for his name right now in Google, every single listing is not about him. It's not about the stories around him or whatever or his upcoming trial or what whatever it may be or you know it, it's all about the serial podcast and because everyone's talking about it and that really got me thinking at least from a content perspective, and, and we talk about this a lot, and it might sound very cliche, is that like you, people don't just digest content in one way. They digest it in multiple ways, and they share it in multiple ways. So, <clears throat> you know, podcasting, for example, we're recording one right now. It's going to be transcribed. People are going to listen to it in their car. People are going to listen to it in the gym. People are going to listen to it, whatever. Maybe one day there's going to be some video whatever of this, you know, can the content that you produce be put into a virtual reality setting, right? So like there's someone sitting there at the table with the three of us having or listening to this discussion or whatever it may be. And it's really just thinking about what you produce being more than what people can solely read, but not forgetting about the basics. And the basics are that Google still, uh, will read an article or whatever and index it and serve it to 99% of the people out there. But if we know that, hey, SEJ is the source, or SEJ is a source of this broadcast, and this broadcast is listened out there, and there's more people listening and sharing it and going to it or whatever, and there's some kind of ownership which links everything back to the source, then that should benefit the brand in the long run. And I think it's like, how do we put canonical ownership to things that are taken off the site or distributed out there? So at the end of the day, like you said, it's it's a, it's it's what 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 did you say, Brent? Uh, it's uh, authoritative cloud data. cloud data, yeah. Authoritative cloud data, right? So at the end of the day, how does all of that data? How does all that data and discussion and everything that's being spread out there get attributed correctly back to the source? And a lot of the times, it doesn't get it attributed back to the source. And I think that's a pretty big challenge and something to think about. Going Do you think it, you know, a lot of times we talk about like, you know, stay core to a couple things. Do you, do you think that because of this big unknown, maybe there's, uh, you know, people need to start putting a certain percentage of efforts into exploratory, 
exploratory like efforts. You know, like, hey, I'm not really screwing with Instagram or I'm not really messing with Pinterest. Well, maybe you should be because we don't know where the influence of data is going to come from. And so we need to start exploring more. I think so. I think you should at least investigate other platforms. Even if, you know, you think it might not be a good fit, it's worth seeing what's out there. Because, you know, as as apps or social platforms continue to evolve, their purpose and what they how they can benefit you can change. Just like um, another thing I had down for us to talk about today was Instagram ads. So now basically anybody can have an ad on Instagram. You don't even need an Instagram account. And you can do it from the Facebook ad manager. And right. so... You know, all these companies that didn't really want to mess with Instagram, well, now it's really easy for them to do that. And I'm definitely seeing a lot more ads whenever I'm scrolling through Instagram. And so I think, you know, publishers and companies just need to be aware of what's out there and just be looking for things that could work for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think at the end of the day, it's traffic generation. Um, mm hmm and getting your brand out there in front of people. And, you know, Instagram, when Facebook acquired Instagram, um, the whole deal was, oh, there's no advertising on Instagram, so everyone loves it. Or there's no this, or there's no that. Well, slowly, they've been rolling in advertising. Advertising to the point, that, like you said, Kelsey, anyone can buy it anywhere, right? It's not necessary. So, like, what we're talking about now, and, and, and the power there is, like, there's, face, there's, there's Facebook Facebook advertising, right? But then there's Facebook ad partners, which is usually device advertising through apps and stuff like that. And then Instagram as well. So now Facebook is becoming, slowly becoming an AdWords where you can contextually advertise on third-party sites um, too, right? So it's just like thinking of it all together and as it grows and then what's next. The second that Instagram adds the ability to link in a description, People are going to be SEOs are going to be all over that, right? Not only and marketers, not only because um, maybe it's follow or no follow. Who cares about that? What I care the most about is people actually clicking on that because my job as a marketer is to bring targeted traffic back to the website or back to wherever, especially like a, an SEO marketer, right? So um, I don't care where it comes from, as long as it's highly targeted and people take action on the site, that helps with your Google rankings. But then at the same time, with uh, Facebook advertising, Twitter advertising, everything else, now there's call to action buttons where I can call directly from, I can click the call button directly from a Facebook ad and call the advertiser and get into their lead funnel. Or I can do that through Instagram, or I can do that through Twitter, or I can buy you know, a, a Ravens jersey through Twitter because I know they're going to come back and, and win the Super Bowl next year or something like that. So it's like all that stuff is available and highly targeted and it does really change the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I it's funny when we talked about coming up with this podcast, I was having trouble thinking of all the things we could talk about and now we <laughs> Talk about two things, time. right? <laughs> yeah, and we could even go longer, but um, I know there's hours and hours of you know changes we could go over. But to kind of close it out, you know, I want to ask you guys the cliche question of what should our listeners or you know marketers be thinking about going into 2016? 
Go ahead, Lauren. You can run with this one. Start. I, I'll oh yeah. A second. Um, you know, it, at least in the world of search, I think it's really easy for people to get ahead of themselves. And the direction that we see Google going, like we talked about with AMP and the delivery of data and them really wanting to access your content, is just, first of all, to make sure that stuff's cleaned up. It's getting more and more important. Page speed is getting more important, especially on the mobile, mobile user experience, everything else. If people can't read your content, Google's not going to serve your content. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on top of that is really start thinking about what you do from an SEO perspective as being pure digital marketing. Because I, I, I truly do believe, and for most of the signals that I'm seeing, is that, you know, again, uh, when you bring the right people to your site, they're going to share your content socially, they're going to get it in front of more people, they're maybe going to link to it if they use some archaic system like blogging or owning a website. And, um, you know, then uh, maybe they're going to just spend more time on it, whatever it is. But I see all of those signals being much more important going in the next year um, as a whole. But just like really making sure that you, uh, you clean stuff up too. Because I could really see, could really see Google laying the smack down on slow sites, especially in mobile, but also on desktop. Um, and especially as they, they change as user behavior changes. No one has time anymore to, to wait around. Everyone's going to click the back button. Mm-hmm. So if it takes more than a couple of seconds to load, you're just, it's not only going to hurt you for that moment, but it's going to hurt you for the long term. Good point. And, and, and the target for that time from a Google's perspective is one second. Wow. That's what they want. So from a social side, um, I, I think that the the one thing I would really suggest, and this is a problem that I think we have across the board in our industry, is that I think people really need to focus more on promoting and having campaigns in social for the right reasons and in the right communities and with the right messaging. Um, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing. If you look at any company out there today that does you know, a, 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 an advertisement in a magazine, uh, you know, a commercial. At no point do they decide in a silo that they're just going to create whatever they want. And then, you know what, they're just going to throw it in a random five or six magazines and they don't really care what's the demographic. They don't really care what the messaging is. They're, they're just going to utilize this magazine as a visibility metric for their advertisement. It just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, you would sit down and look at a magazine. You would say, what's their audience? Okay, I'm going to pick the right, you know, the pictures. I'm going to pick the right images, the right messaging. I'm going to make sure that it has some sort of an impact with the audience that I'm showing my advertisement to. For whatever reason, you know, the way that we do things online, it, it, it's, it's lacking any of that thought to why I'm doing it. Right, and I think that we have to get to a point where, when we say, "Hey, I'm going to do social media," it's not I'm going to create this this piece of content or I'm going to create this video, and then I'm just going to throw it on all my social channels because I'll get more eyeballs. And really start thinking about I'm going to create a campaign for Facebook, for Instagram, for Google Plus, for Twitter, for Reddit, and really say, "What is the audience?" 
what is the you know what is it I'm trying to portray and go into creating meaningful campaigns. Um, I think so often I hear people say, "There's this amazing campaigns. Here's ten best brand campaigns that that are killing it out there." And in every single one of them, we look at and we put it on a pedestal. It takes them months and months and months, lots of budget, multiple members, different divisions and and, and elements of their company, um, and lots of planning in order to make this campaign successful. And we look at all of that and say, how can I do that in two hours on this Saturday with no money and no budget and no plan? And then we get discouraged and we say, oh, social's too hard or I can't figure it out. Um, and, and we're confused by that. And so I'd like to see people really focus more on, on thinking about the audiences and, and, and doing more planned promotions in that regard. Good. Good tips. I would say mine would be... I definitely think uh, video will continue to be important. Um, live streaming will continue to be important like Blab or Periscope or Meerkat. Um, Periscope was just voted as one of the top apps by Apple or something of 2015. And I think that's going to continue to be like huge for marketers, you know, to promote so many different things. Um, I just think it comes down to segmenting your data or your content, repurposing it. How can you turn, you know, a webinar into a podcast? How could you turn a long form article into um, a video tutorial? Things like that. I think making your content stretch farther um, will allow you to write really good content that then you can repurpose versus focusing on quantity and just getting stuff out there. And I think that's probably the same thing I've been saying for years. But a lot of companies still aren't doing it, so I'm going to repeat it. It's funny, isn't it? Because like we, we yeah. literally have to have the same goal for three-year periods. I know. Right? Yeah. It's like Google with mobile, right? Matt started talking <laughs> about this shit like in 2012, and it took three years of like, what's the big thing? He's like, mobile. And then by the third year, people are like, is the big thing still mobile? People are like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's what it's like. So. I guess I'll just keep talking and we'll keep, you know, yelling into the void until someone listens. <laughs> it's funny because sometimes I get sick of doing, like, not get sick, but I get sick of saying the same thing or feel like, you know, things aren't innovating as much as they should be until I see, like, what people are doing when they contact me. Like, hey, we need a content marketing strategy. I'm like, what are you doing now? And they're like, oh, we're just, we're just putting all of our press releases on our blog. Like, oh, you know, it's just like. It, it takes time to get to everybody, mm -hmm. and you know it's good to hear that we're on the same page. I have a question for you, Kelsey, real quick. Okay. Um, you talked about Blab, which I haven't checked out yet. I guess I need to, and Periscope, of course. But what do you what do you see being like the next big thing on the app side, the social app side? Um, besides Blab and Periscope, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think that those are really um, going to be really cool. I think that the apps we already use are going to continue to be more important. Um, and I think Google Now, which I know we talked about earlier, is getting smarter and smarter. And it's fascinating to me, the stuff it recommends to me, because I have a Samsung Galaxy. So it'll say, I'll search for, you know, I'll research, you know, a Christmas present. Well, the next day it'll say, hey, do you still want to continue researching, you know, 
Jim Shore figurines, they're on sale right now here. And it just amazes me that, you know, that type of predictive search, like, oh, well, you liked this a few days ago. Would you still be interested? I think that that's going to continue to be part of the apps we use, especially the social ones and search. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just add to that that, you know, I'm always into the apps and the new social things. And I draw a complete blank. I mean, the problem is, is that there there was a lot of significant changes with the existing apps. Exactly. So much so in the last 12 months that people have been lost in them and establishing themselves in them. So even people that like I knew that were like, I still see people jump into Snapchat every so often, but it's really tough because Snapchat's just so one dimensional. It's like you can get the same features from other things. And so it's really not people using it because they like it. It's really people using it because they're like, shit, so many people are talking about Snapchat. I got to use it, right? Um, Ello came and went, you know, um, you just, Everything that comes out, it kind of goes real quick either because it doesn't have the right team behind it or it doesn't have the right growth or or it doesn't have enough individuality. So I haven't heard of anything um, outside of like, I mean, Uber's the last big, you know, social, and that's not really even a social tool. I haven't heard of anything recently that's been, you know, you know Periscope blew up for like two weeks and then just disappeared, right? And then it maintains, like, yeah. We're on Periscope now, and they'll be like, "Oh, I got fifty thousand followers on Periscope." What really? <laughs> you put that much into Periscope for the past month? It paid off for you. And it's funny too that you, you know, with Google now and predictive search, and the whole like virtual assistant um, thing, like Amazon's becoming a contender again, like a major player. Um, and they're like really the, like the first AI, the first big AI commerce company out there. And then now they're starting to show off like what they have behind the scenes with their Echo and Alexa um, virtual assistant and stuff like that. So it'll be really interesting. Like speaking of like companies that are changing and apps that are changing and adapting, to see what like they come out with in the next year as well because they're they're a contender in search again. Oh, yeah. Anyone that uses a person, any personal assistant company is now a search contender. Mm-hmm. It's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Well, AI is huge. Like with, uh, you know, we, we were just talking the other day about Sentient, the company Sentient, who did the AI shopping stuff for shoes.com. And if you go in the shoes.com app, it's like, hey, I like this shoe. And then it shows you um, eight other shoes that are similar. And they're like, do you like any of these better? And you're like, hmm, actually, I do like this one better. And then it shows you eight more. Do you like any of these better? Do you like it? And you keep going down this rabbit hole until you find like, this is actually the perfect one. You can buy it and it remembers all of that. Every time you use it, it's remembering. So it starts to learn your habits with artificial intelligence. And if you, you know, I'm really into futurism, so I'm constantly watching you know, all the breakthroughs. Artificial intelligence is improving so ridiculously fast that you know, I think in the next two, three years, you're going to start seeing a huge push of AI coming into a lot of these apps and a lot of these uh, tools. So, and if Amazon can keep up with it, then they, they definitely have a huge advantage because of their reach. Yeah, I agree. I think they're another company that's like Google. They're trying to make, except they're more e-commerce. So they want everything you could possibly buy to be bought through Amazon. Or, you know, any any product you could consume to be involved with them. And so it will be interesting. I have an Amazon Echo. And it's funny, it, it tracks my music purchasing history. Because sometimes I'll buy MP3s from there. 
And so if I say, um, I'm not going to say the name because it's on my desk, so it'll do the command, but if I say the name and then I um, say, play me something that'll make me happy, it's, it tells me, okay, well, based on your history, here's a playlist I think you'll like. And it starts playing me a syndicated playlist of music based on what I've listened to. And it's amazing. And so I agree. I think that that kind of stuff is going to keep growing. And it's a little scary at first, but it makes people's lives easier. So I think there's going to be a learning curve, but I agree. I think it'll be a lot more common. So, Merry Christmas. Yes, we could keep going, but we should stop. So, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, if you're not the Christmas type. Thank you, uh, Lauren and Brent, for joining me on Marketing Nerds. My pleasure. Thanks, Kels. And we'll see you in 2016. Cheers. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.